In a previous episode of the Creationist podcast, I spoke with Ira Robbins about the creation of Trouser Press, the music magazine Ira started with his friends Dave Schulps and Karen Rose. Please check it out if you haven't already had a chance. In part two of our conversation, we talk about his recently released novel, Mark Bolin Killed in Crash. I laughed, I cried, and then I turned to page two. Welcome to The Creationist, a podcast about people who create. I'm your host, Steve Waxman. Good fiction is like an abstract painting. The story is born out of the imagination of the writer, and I'm always curious about the inspiration behind that story. Mark Bull and Killed and Crash is a coming-of-age story of teenager Lila Russell and her discovery of rock and roll, as well as her introduction into London's glam rock scene. So to satisfy my curiosity about the story's origin, I asked Ira about the book's inspiration. The book started with a feeling that I had, I've had for a long time, that the glam rock era has not been properly documented, largely forgotten, um, you know, thought of by few people in a very insignificant way. Um, always a very big, fun time for me. I really like that era. And I like the bands. And I like the music. And, and I also think that it's a very odd time because essentially it was like a grown-up bubblegum music. You know, I mean, like we, we had all lived through bubblegum in the late 60s and, well, some of us had, and, you know, looked down on it as music for 12-year-olds, you know, and yet glam rock came along and it seemed, you know, people like Alice Cooper weren't singing for little kids. You know, I mean, there, there, there certainly was a, a broad generational appeal to the music, but, but it, it felt adult to me. And, you know, because a lot of it was sleazy, right? I mean, Slade, Gary Glitter, I mean, it, was all, it wasn't about little kids. It was, it was you know, kind of like vulgar in, 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 in its principles. And so, so I, I thought that I wanted to do, I'd written a novel um, about 10 years ago uh, about 60s radicalism, just out of sort of curiosity to see if I could do it. And, and then I thought I would do another one. And so I kind of fixated on the idea of moving ahead a decade and dealing with glam rock. And, and my, my very literal concept was to put myself in a place that I would have liked to have been and live in it in a, in a fictional sense. You know, I mean, it was literally to create a world that I wanted to think about, you know, that I wasn't really there for. I mean, I was, I was in England uh, a couple of times around that time, but, you know, I certainly wasn't, you know, a, a, an English kid going to, you know, concert after concert and, you know, growing up in, you know, book bowl and mania. And, and so I just sort of wanted to, I mean, that was the goal, was to kind of have that environment, the time, the place, uh, the music, kind of rolled around into a story. And, you know, after that, I had to just kind of like poke at a bunch of ideas that I kind of had about how to do that. And so eventually I came on the idea of having like a young girl who becomes involved in, 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 in glam rock. And I didn't have any more of an idea than that. I just started writing. Oh, just straight up. You, you didn't, you didn't, did you do any kind of, um, any kind of, uh, I don't know, storyboard or, you know, were you writing background on the characters? No. You just wrote the first word, the, and went on from there? Pretty much. I mean, I mean, I, I had some notes, most of which I didn't use. You know, I, I just kind of scribbled down ideas of like, for a while it was going to be called Front, front Row, I think. You know, it was going to be about sort of a, a super fan. 
you know, that was kind of my, my thought. I, I, I don't, I honestly don't recall the Genesis. I mean, I could probably go back and find, I, I've kept the early drafts, but um, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any clear sense of how I evolved, what it evolved into. I mean, at some point, you know, I, I had, you know, a teenage girl who becomes kind of sucked into this world and my fiction writing, I mean, against every possible element of, of logic or reason is pretty much track laying. You know, I, I drive the train, get out, put down another piece of track, drive the train, get out, put down another piece of track. And that's how I find out where I'm going is simply by going forward. Um, you know, there really isn't any, um, I've never had a plan. I've never written an outline. You know, at some point I could kind of see problems that were cropping up that needed to be fixed. And at one point I was really stumped about halfway through it. I just really didn't know where the story was going. And and then I had the, the, this great idea one day and I kind of took it from there. So yeah, no, I, I, I just made it up as I went along. So it, so it just unfolded as you were writing. I mean, I, I, I ended up taking notes on the characters so that I can use that. You know, I mean, I have a, I have a little file box of, of characters with all the salient details that I, I, I came up with just so I wouldn't, screw it up later and like have somebody who's left-handed suddenly be right-handed or, you know, somebody, you know, and, and I got really hung up on the chronology. That, that was the biggest problem because I had this idea for, some, for reasons that I'm not sure I can even explain. I've always had a fixation on, on the, the, the Russians spaced on like, you know, for those who don't know, 1959 or 57, I think it's 57. Uh, the Russians launched the, the first animal into space. Uh, a dog named Laika. Laika turns out to be like Russian slang for mutt. And it was just a, a stray dog that they had like decided to send in space. And they never admitted that the dog died in, in this, 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 the, the rocket ship, which mm -hmm. it did. And, and, but it was still, it was a very big deal. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I was, I was kind of a, a Soviet file when I was a kid. And so that was a big deal. It was kind of like, you know, yay, we did it sort of thing. Um, although I was really little at the time. So I, I it was all post, Belated. Um, but I've always had a thing about Laika. The, the, so I, I got this idea that I wanted her named, I wanted my character to be named after Laika. So she's named Lila um, after Laika, but that made a very complicated chronology because she had to be like a kid in 1972. And so that meant that like the, 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 my first couple of drafts, I had like, it was all cocked up. It was like, you know, she would have been like 30, you know, or, or like she would have been like, like six, you know, it was all wrong. And so I, I had to go back and, and fix all the details. Like, like, like her whole, her parents' backstory had to be adjusted so that they were actually married and having a child at the time that they had to pick this name. So, yeah. The first, the first 30, 40, 50 pages was difficult for me in as much as they're, you're using English slang throughout. And for those of us that don't know what it is, it's sometimes really, really challenging to get through. I happen, I happen to be fortunate enough to be married to a woman from Birmingham. And so I could, I could turn to her and say, what does this mean? What does this mean? <laughs> Why? I mean, obviously you chose that because this all takes place in England, but I mean, you went deep. You went deep with the slang. I mean, I can tell you why I did it. I can tell you how I did it. The reason why I did it, I did it for two reasons. One, a, a lifetime obsession with slang. I mean, I've just, I love slang. I mean, it's just like, you know, I, 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 I sponge up slang whenever I can. Um, I'm always fascinated by it. I try to learn it. You know, I don't go around talking like that. I mean, I can assure you that, you know, uh, it's not 
not an affectation of mine. Although in, in the, I, I will say the old trouser press office days, we would use a lot of the slang that we learned from the British weeklies. And, and I actually said it to somebody not long ago, like, because some of this stuff has just become part of my vocabulary. And I said something about, you know, like, oh yeah, that was when we took that link to London and meaning, you know, a free trip on a, on some, on a record company's dime. And, and they like, oh, look at you, you know, ligging. Oh, 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 you know, it's like, I mean, and I, it wasn't like I was saying like, oh, fab gear, you know, I wasn't, I mean, to me, there's no equivalent American word. So, you know, I mean, junket just sounds awful to me. So I think, you know, I just prefer lig. But um, so, so I kind of came at this with, with a lifetime's enthusiasm for that. And, and I also came at this with a shelf full of British slang dictionaries, which I've collected over the years. And, and I thought, that it would be fun for me to see if I could write like that, you know, and I knew it would be a problem for some people and, and, and it probably is a bit off putting, but I, I couldn't see writing it and not have, and have people speak, you know, an American, you know, it just, it didn't seem right to me. I mean, you know, until I got to the Scottish character, I didn't really go full on um, uh, phonetic, um, but there's no other way to do with the Scottish that 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 measure of Scottish uh, uh, um, dialect without going phonetic because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. But um, I mean, I, but a lot of those words are words that, that I know. You know, that I, a lot of them we learned. You know, from reading the British writers. You know, and mm-hmm. and you know, it, it was just a, it was a fun project for me to do it to do that. And and I, I will confess, I mean, I went to a certain amount of effort to include that stuff. I mean, I didn't I didn't you know like go through it and look for synonyms like hotchkey in there but but i you know I, I did kind of like keep it in my head and i watch a lot of british television also and i just happened to like you know those british crime shows and the police shows and things like that and so you know i'd, I'd be watching a show and it's like oh i never heard that one before you know i mean like I, and, and i i stuck some of that stuff in just because it was so cool you know i mean like, like i had never heard anybody refer to like like sort of being beaten by somebody as being twatted you know, so, so I think I might have found a use for that somewhere in the book. Well, it, it's funny. It's funny you say you bring up Stephen, who's the uh, who's the Scottish character in this. And uh, once you introduce him, and we start struggling through trying to understand him, the rest of it actually became really easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, the, the thought that I always had was that, like, a you know, people watch upstairs, downstairs, and they watch Downton oh, yeah. Abbey and stuff. And I mean, you know, clearly there's a lot of British slang in the culture that Americans absorb, you know, and, and, and consume. And so I didn't feel like I was asking people to like understand Urdu or anything like that. And then also, you know, I mean, Anthony Burgess wrote Clockwork Orange with an entirely made up language, you know, and, 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 and so did, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien. And so, you know, I, I felt like there's some precedent to like, you know, challenging people a little bit with words that they may not know. And, and if I may, you know, this gets back to sort of an ethos that we had at Trousers, which was, you know, we were never afraid to use words or references or comparisons that might not be popularly known because we felt that like part of the reason you read a magazine was to like be stimulated to look things up and to be curious about stuff and to learn things. You know, I mean, my reading as a kid, you know, and as a young adult was always like, what the hell does this mean? I better get a dictionary. You know, I never wanted to be talked down to like, you know, like, like our president does. I want, you know, I wanted to be, to be, you know, I want to learn things. And so, you know, I thought in a, in a way that this was kind of like, okay to like make people, you know, maybe stop and look up, look up a word here and there. And I, I didn't think, and I also thought that a lot of it was probably in context going to be pretty well understandable. Are there any scenes that take place, any, any incidents in this book that 
come from things that you experienced or stories that you had been told by artists that you've spoken to over the years? Um, I once got abandoned on a subway platform, I mean, on a train platform by mistake, but that, that's, that was like a, that, that it's, it's a, it's a paragraph in the book and completely incidental. N- not really. No, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm very averse to poorly disguised autobiography and memoir, uh, unless it's being called a memoir and this is not a memoir. So no, I mean, I mean, you know, some of I researched, I mean, so it really did happen. You know, I mean, like Roxy Music did play the marquee with UFO opening the night I, 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 night I cited. And, you know, some of the bands for sure, you know, the places are real. You know, Mark Boland, you know, I, I went to the tree where Mark Boland died twice um, to kind of get a feel for it, walked around the neighborhood. And, you know, I stood in front of uh, Wormwood Scrubs for, uh, describe that properly. But no, no, the, the, the incidents in the book are, are, are fiction. Well, can I, you brought up the uh, Roxy Music gig, and I want to say that was the moment where the book clicked in for me, 100%. That's where, that was my buy-in moment in the book, because the way you wrote that, whether intentional or not, made me feel like that's what it would have been like if I was there discovering Roxy Music for the first time, if I was discovering glam for the first time. That was certainly my goal. I mean, you know, Lila's, you know, is kind of a blank slate who hasn't experienced very much. So, you know, that's something that that I took the opportunity of her never having really been to a, a rock concert and seeing something with no context and no no background and no reason to understand any of it. Just like, holy fuck, what is this? You know, I I, I used that opportunity and, and I did the same thing with her, you know, discovering sex. You know, I mean, I kind of wrote her discovery of sex is like, oh my God, what is happening to me? You know, not from the point of view of a, a knowledgeable, experienced adult who's lived things before. You know, everything to her is pretty new, you know, and, and, and a lot of what happens to her in the book is, you know, unfair and unfortunate. And she kind of has to rise to the occasion. And it's only very late in the story that she becomes uh, more confident and dare say cynical um, character who, you know, who's not at all intimidated by the, the things that, that go on around her because she's come through it all. Well, and even, you know, even the way you describe her experiences of being turned on to the music that Brian's turning her on to, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the, one of the, 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 the things I was fixed, I, I had in my hand in my head when I was writing this was, you know, there's a line at the end of all the young dudes where Hunter says, you know, I want you to write down up front. You know, I want, I want to see you write, I want to see you right here up down front or something like that. You know, he just says, he chants, kind of says it as the song's fading out. And then he says, I want to do this for years. And that kind of, I have an image in my head of like kids reaching up from an audience towards a band and sort of what that means and sort of emotionally what that gesture signifies, you know, and it's, it's religious, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I want to be with you. I want, I want to be connected to you. I want what you are. I want you to know me. You know, and, and those are really profound thoughts that, that I've experienced as a, as a concert goer, you know, and, and they're not very well understood. Um, I, I toyed for a long time with the idea of writing a book about fandom. I never did. But, uh, you know, I, I wanted her experience with, with, with that, that particular single, the Mount Hoople single, you know, to be kind of in the same way, you know, in the same vein of kind of like feeling the tug of, of a piece of music that really matters to you all of a sudden you know, the same way that it does in a concert, you know? And so I, 
you know, and, and of course, I mean, you know, for me, it's cheating, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a rock reviewer, a rock journalist. And so writing, you know, a fictional review of a concert I wasn't at, you know, or a review of a record that I've known for 40 years, you know, that's what I do. You know, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to do that. So, you know, I can conjure that stuff up because I've experienced it all. You know, and the, you know, the note that I sent to you um, last week while we were scheduling this is so true about how, you know, I am, I, at least I imagine I've had conversations with artists. They know, they know what it looks like when you pull back the, the drapes on the wizard. And I imagine you've had similar conversations with some, you know, some of your friends and bands over the years, because that's certainly, that's certainly what was communicated towards the end of the book from her point of view. It's like, it's not all that you think it is. Well, and from Chaz's point of view also, I mean, you know, yeah. Chaz is kind of, kind of second start, second life is sort of dismal in its own way as well. I mean, you know, I, kind of a cynical person and, and I wanted to write, I mean, I can't write a book with a happy ending. You know, I mean, this, this book has a pleasant enough ending. It doesn't, it doesn't end on a down note. Um, I mean, my first book ended on a much, much worse note, but, but I, I I, I can't make a happy face here and, and say, you know, that anybody that's been in, you know, in, a, in a band for all these years is going to, you know, come out of it alive and it's going to be a great experience and it's all going to be groovy and wonderful and they'll be happy. And, you know, um, and so, you know, I, I kind of knew that I was going to, going to kind of pull the rug out from under everybody at one point or another. And, you know, but, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I wanted Lila to feel to, to, to experience, you know, the heights as well as the, you know, I mean, I mean she, she started with nothing. So she had to go up before she could come down. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, but I mean, obviously she becomes, you know, more involved in the glam rock world than just a fan, you know, going to a, one concert that she almost gets killed at. Um, um, but, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how much I really know about what bands go through. I, I mean, I, I know what people go through, you know, and I, I mean, we've all, we've all lived our lives, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to, how to how to answer that really, because you know I feel like like I was just sort of expressing the the ways in which people's lives disappoint them. You know, I mean, I, I needed something for you know to happen to Lila that was really traumatic in order to move the story along, and you know, I made it a family matter, you know, as well as as a you know something else entirely, but. I just sort of wanted her to, to kind of go through the ups and downs of it. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of why I picked the title. You know, I mean, I mean, I had, I, I have that, that poster hanging in my house and I wanted to use it as a title. I certainly didn't have it when I started to think I, I didn't have it as my title to start, but I like the idea that Bolin's death in 1977 kind of signifies, you know, the end of it all, you know, and, and that, that it wasn't all just fun and games. I mean, I suppose I could have, you know, Gary Glitter going to prison for being a pedophile, but you know that would have not really suited my purposes. But you know, I mean, I've had people complain that like I'm exploiting Bolin's death, and I'm doing no such thing because it's not about Bolin, nor is it about his death. It's about you know the era and how it kind of was unbelievably colorful and glamorous and fun and upbeat and hysterically keen for everything, and then you know kind of died out, and then Bolin died, and so you know that that to me is sort of the the dramatic arc mm. that I wanted to tell. And I did. 
Well, look, I don't want to give away too much because I want people to read this book because it is a blast to read. And I know that a lot of people that listen to my podcast are people that I've worked with over the years in the music industry. And I think that all of them will enjoy reading this book. And I want to congratulate you because it is really fantastic. I mean, God willing that, you know, you can you can find someone that will uh, buy the movie rights to this thing or or the Netflix rights to it, because I think it would really visually be awesome. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, you know, I was pretty disappointed by um, Velvet Goldmine, you know, because I thought that it was made kind of to parody the scene rather than to celebrate it. But it left out a lot. I just, you know, I left out with what was great about glam rock, you know, and, and, and you know, making a, a sort of an Iggy-like character, sort of the central figure in there, I thought really did the whole thing a disservice because, you know, Iggy was, Iggy's Iggy. You know, Iggy would have existed regardless of whether it was glam rock or not, you know. I think the story is much more interesting when you get down to like, you know, Roxy Music and, you know, and, and Slade and, you know, Chicory Tip and, you know, Mud and, you know, Susie Quattro. It's sweet, you know, I mean, and, and, and they're, you know, they all have problems. I mean, you know, like, like you know, the, the suite went on, on top of the pops where, you know, with, with one of them wearing full Nazi regalia, you know, it's like, that's not funny. I mean, you know, it's like, it's kind of ghastly, but at the same time, it was just part of the, you know, the goof, right? I mean, the same way that like punk rock, the sex was his work, were swastikas, you know, and it was just goofy, you know, because they didn't know what it was. They didn't care. You know, they weren't making a statement of any sort. They were just trying to outrage people, you know, and so... I think you're right. I think, I think there is a great movie to be made about glam rock, but it would probably end up focusing, you know, on like the Bowie Bolin rivalry or something like that. You know, I don't know. Mark Bolin Killed and Crashed is available now and can be ordered through Amazon. It's been called a shrewd and witty novel about the business of pop and lauded for period perfect jargon and keen details about the way the music business manipulates fantasy and reality. Whether you're a fan of glam rock or not, you'll find this book endlessly entertaining. If you'd like to comment on this episode, have suggestions for future episodes, or just want to say hi, please email thecreationistpodcast at gmail.com. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. The Creationist is mastered in post-production by Paul Ferrand. I'm Steve Waxman, and I created this podcast. (laughs) 